So this is the third in my listener request sermon series. <laughs> and uh, I had mentioned once I was given a title, All Dogs Go to Heaven, and then afterwards Jill gave me more inputs on more ideas that could go along with that title. So I will definitely touch on a lot of those today. I titled it Pets and Purpose, as in the purpose in our lives, um, partially because I'm just not a terribly imaginative person. But hopefully, coming out of this, you will find a little more purpose in your life in connection with animals. Uh, and I had a lot of things happen recently that fall right into the topic of this sermon. For instance, uh, last Thursday, I was out at Animal Harbor, which is a local dog and cat rescue organization near where I live, and I volunteer there at least once a week, sometimes twice. And what I do is go out and help the dogs that are in isolation get out and get walks. Because you have one area for the dogs that they know are healthy. And they have an indoor-outdoor pen with a doggy door, little cement run outside. And then they also get put out in nice, grassy, larger pens during the day. So they get some socialization. They get some exercise. But then you have two areas that are entirely indoors, and those are... New dogs that have just come in, you want to make sure they're healthy. You don't want to spread diseases. And they do the same with cats also. And then there's the third section where they know the dog is sick. And now you're really in quarantine. And depending on what the issue is, those dogs may or may not get to go outside. So every week I show up at Animal Harbor and I wonder which dogs are going to be in these isolation areas. That's my primary focus, to get those dogs outside, get some walks and also get some love and attention and socialization so they're not all nervous uh, when potential adopters come by and on Thursday there were two new little terriers and one was all black and one was uh, different colors mostly brown and getting small dogs is rare in and of itself if you want pit bulls we have pit bulls uh, everyone turns in their pit bulls and they are some of the sweetest dogs imaginable by the way uh, but their size intimidates people. So I went to get the little black terrier. The other one was fine. It knew how to walk on a leash. It was happy, marking everything it could possibly mark. <laughs> but the little black one, when I opened the door, was just crouching down on the ground, scared to death, tail just a little slight wag, like, I want to be friends, but I don't trust you. And so I finally coaxed it to come close enough to where I could pick her up and use, use a long, time-honored technique to pick up a new dog. You hold it out like this, because when they're that afraid, they're going to pee all over you. And sure enough, I had, I had foreseen the consequences of my actions and avoided it. And I took this poor little dog out, and when they're like this, you put a leash on them, they don't even know what to do half the time. And she just crouched down on the ground and wouldn't even move. And so you have to love them, then you back off a little bit with the leash on them and get them to come to you. And after about 20 minutes, that little girl was able to actually walk on a leash to some degree and just wanted to be held all the time. It was heartbreaking. And I'm telling Jancy this story when I come home and she says, that dog's in the car, isn't it? <laughs> it was not but you have no idea how hard that was. <laughs> so afterwards, I go in and talk to the staff, and I say, so what's the story on the two terriers? And the one that was well-adjusted had just been turned in by somebody 
who for whatever reason could no longer care for it. But the story of the black terrier is, is one of those things that just enrages you. Just before opening, which is at noon at Animal Harbor for the people to actually come in and adopt dogs or cats and look at them, somebody drove up, came out with the little black terrier and some doggy treats, set the doggy treats by the front door, put the terrier down, jumped in their car and drove off. And naturally, this little dog wants to go home with its family, so it's chasing the car and goes down the driveway and out another dirt road that we have and out to the main road. And the staff saw what was going on. They were coming, big glass door, and before they could do anything, this car had driven off, and they ran out and tried to get that little black dog, and they haven't named her yet, so that's why she's little black dog, but uh, they could not get her. She was scared to death and would not come to anyone. Finally, someone had the idea, well, I'm going to drive off, it's chasing every car it sees, hoping their mom and dad show up. And so I'll drive up and open the door and see if she'll jump in. And sure enough, she did, and that's how they caught her. Now, I'm going to come back to this story at the end of this sermon. But just try to imagine what kind of a person would do this, what's going through the dog's head at the time, Contrary to some people's opinions, dogs do think and do have emotions and feelings. And try to imagine how I feel when I'm hearing this story and the rage that's building up inside of me. It's a tough thing. Those of you who don't know me, you know, you know, my intro when I come up here usually says something about being involved with dog rescue or I have six dogs or something. Dogs are a big part of my life. Uh, our record is 13 dogs in the house. Not all ours, foster dogs, trying to find homes for a lot of them. Currently, we have six dogs that are our own dogs, and occasionally we take in a foster dog still. So being such an animal lover as I am, you would think it'd be easy to write a sermon about dogs and the purpose of life, or dogs and finding meaning, or how dogs help us to be better people. But here's the catch, as I'm working on this. Not everyone likes animals. Not everyone wants a pet. Not everyone wants to hear a sermon about animals. But you're here, so thank you. <laughs> and some people who are seriously seeking meaning in their lives on a spiritual quest, if you will, uh, oftentimes don't incorporate animals into that. For instance, if you think about monasteries of any religion or other religious communities that are isolated and really focused on spiritual development, you rarely hear that animals are a part of it. There are exceptions. Uh, for instance, uh, the Catholic monks and nuns of New Skeet Monastery in New York, and this is Catholic, uh, they actually raise German Shepherd dogs and write books about raising dogs and have become quite well known for it and raise very fine dogs. And if you go to their website, you'll read this. For many of us, love for creation deepens through the relationships we form with our pets, particularly our dogs. By their very nature and need, dogs draw us out of ourselves. They root us in nature, making us more conscious of the mystery of God inherent in all things. We cannot but delight in recognizing God's mystery in the length and breadth of our daily life. 
In our particular monastic context of New Skeet, we have been privileged to share this in a special way with our German shepherds, who in an entirely natural way have taught us many important lessons about life and about ourselves. Now, I'm not Catholic, but I do appreciate words like this, where people understand the importance of animals and human interaction with them. Now, as I did when I gave you last month's sermon about science fiction, the best way to go about this is to tell my life story and interaction as, a, as an example, because you'll find your own stories and your own examples in your life. Uh, back in 2007, shortly after I had returned from a year in Afghanistan, uh, I was having a hard time adjusting to life as a, not a civilian per se, I was still in the Air Force, but living in America is incredibly different, as you might imagine, from living in Afghanistan and being in the military and knowing every day that people want to blow you up. Uh, that affects you. I wouldn't say I had PTSD or anything like that, but being away for a year in a war zone changes how you think, changes how you view things. So when I came back, it was hard to adjust. And I've often said there were two things that helped me get back on track, get my head on straight. One was starting to go to the UU church in Tullahoma, and the other was care for five motherless puppies who came into my life about a month after I got back. I was at work and I got an email uh, because I was involved in the dog rescue community prior to this. And someone had found five puppies. They were calling them Pomeranians, but when they're little puppies, you can't really tell. And they're all fluffy and cute. But the mother was gone. They assumed it had been hit by a car. They found these puppies near the road and they're trying to find someone to take in these five puppies. Now at the time I worked with a Pomeranian rescue group, that's how they found out about it, but this was a group that was poorly funded and you know they don't want to turn dogs away but they don't have the funds to really do what they need to do. So I was one of the foster homes tied in, I said you know we'll take the five puppies, this will be a, a good challenge. And it became pretty clear pretty quick this group wasn't going to be able to help out financially. And I just finally said, you know what? I'm just going to take care of these myself. You just let me take them, I'll find homes for them. And that began Telehoma Small Breed Rescue, which is on PetFinder. And we don't have a board. I don't want to deal with a board. It's just Jancy and I. But I took on all the responsibilities, vetting, doing you know, adoption applications, doing the calls to references, et cetera, et cetera. And if anyone wanted to adopt one of those dogs, they had to come to our home to see it. Well, these little dogs were so young, they had to be bottle fed. And so I'm, I'm working at the time, full time out at the Air Force Base. So every morning I had to get up extra early and bottle feed these five little puppies. You had to put them outside, clean up the horrible mess they had made the night before. You know, that's, come, that's waiting for you when you come back home, too. And, of course, Jancy's involved in helping out. So when you're taking care of five little puppies who need to be bottle-fed and cleaned regularly, you don't have much time to feel sorry for yourself or to deal with your adjustment to life that's different than it was a couple months ago. You realize there's little lives depending on you, and you just need to press on. 
And it turned out they weren't Pomeranians, of course not. Uh, they turned out to be somewhere in the range of 30 to 35 pound, beautiful mutts, you know, nice silky hair and everything, but definitely not Pomeranians. And we did find homes for all five. And one of them especially went to a family with a young boy who every day when he came home from school, that dog was waiting for him and ran to greet him as he was coming off the bus. So there's lots of happy stories coming out of that. So at this point, large numbers of dogs are going to become a part of our life again. And so I'm talking about dogs, but you can plug in cats or birds or mongooses, or tigers, whatever you have at home. <laughs> Living with animals uh, does become a integral part of your life if you're involved in rescue in any way like we were. In fact, it got so ridiculous, if you will, that in the dog rescue world, you had to distinguish between your human children and your dogs. And so human children are called skin kids, <laughs> and dogs are fur babies. And it had gotten so bad that at least on one occasion, someone asked me how many kids I had, and I started talking about the dogs. <laughs> and they may, I think they actually meant dogs when they said, I, I don't remember. So it does sort of change the way you think, and it changes the way you think about them. And it also changes the way you think about what dogs are capable of internally, how they think. So I have six dogs right now. I, we have six dogs right now. I have two Pomeranians, Ted and Dharma, from the same litter from a mother that we rescued. Ted is my friend. He follows me everywhere, even when I don't want him to. Go to the bathroom. If you don't close the door, there's Ted watching. What you doing, Dad? Dharma, on the other hand, is about half the size of Ted, even though they're litter mates. And she has this... She gets so excited, she just starts spinning around and can't control herself. Anytime it's treat time, anytime it's time to go out, she's the one who stands at the end of the hall and barks at all the other dogs and tells them they need to go out. And, this, and it interrupts whatever Jancy's trying to watch on TV at the time. It's our nightly ritual. About to make a lot of noise, so she knows where she's going to be interrupted. Jack is Jancy's poodle, who follows her everywhere. He's very meek and gentle. And you might almost say he just skulks around at times, but he utterly adores Jancy and follows her, just like Ted follows me. Pris is a long-haired chihuahua who we got out of a hoarding situation, who lived in a house that had actually been condemned in Shelbyville because uh, there were so many dogs in there, and she has never been right in the head. She utterly hates me for existing. She loves Jancy. And we'll, at night, when Jancy's holding her and they're doing something, if I walk in the room, it's just utterly outrageous that I even exist, and she barks incessantly at me. We have Nico, who's our largest dog, but even more gentle than Jack, and utterly adores children. When our grandkids come over, Nico's the one that goes nuts over all the kids, less than the other dogs. And finally, we have Skye, who you'll hear a little bit more about, our white poodle, who is bossy and ever vigilant and guards the house from all those horrible squirrels in the backyard. Now, why do I spend a few minutes telling you this? Because these dogs are all wildly different. They have personality. 
This isn't some mimicking of humans. This is something they generate themselves. All dogs are not the same. They're not little robots that come off a factory line and do the exact same things. They have to be trained differently. They have to be loved differently. And they will act differently. And if I can see such a distinct personality in my dogs, why should I think it's any different for the animals who live in horrible conditions and are butchered for our food or forced to be tested for cosmetics or insecticides or anything else? Those animals, too, have personalities and a right to a better life than many humans give them. In that context, animals are treated just like raw materials. No consideration is given for their well-being any more than somebody worries about the condition of coal or oil that's being used and processed. And this treatment of animals should be morally repugnant to us. This should be one of our purposes in our lives, is to consider what is happening to the life we share on this planet. Ricky Gervais recently said in his opening monologue to the stars in attendance at the Golden Globes, another thing that fell into my lap as I was writing this, if you don't know the guy, he, he lives on insulting people. So he's insulting all these celebrities, or is he? Apple roared into the TV game with The Morning Show, a superb drama about the importance of dignity and doing the right thing, made by a company that runs sweatshops in China, he said, with Apple CEO Tim Cook in attendance. Well, you say you're woke, but the companies you work for in China, unbelievable. Apple, Amazon, Disney, if ISIS started running a streaming service, you'd all call your agent, wouldn't you? And what he was saying was, don't get up here and give political speeches when you do these things. This sounded to me very much like what Jesus said, don't worry about the speck in your neighbor's eye when you've got a log in your own eye. Take care of your problem first. The log in our eye as a society is the horrible mistreatment of our fellow animals. Well, that's one of the logs. We have many of them. But it's one that often gets pushed down quite a bit. Why? Because there's this tacit approval of these horrible, dastardly deeds so we can have cosmetics and medicine and insecticides and pesticides and herbicides and the food that we eat. And we're willing to ignore that horrible stuff going on. We don't want to know because we do want all that other stuff. This is exactly what happened when we had slavery. It's exactly what happens when workers are exploited. It's what happens when we have racism and sexism. We ignore the things that allow us to have stuff or comfort. And we really ignore what happens to animals. Setting aside the matter of food, how do we relate to animals? How much respect do we have for their lives, their habitat, their very existence? Do we seek to understand them at all? Do we try to understand how they think and how they feel? Or do we just shrug it off? Assuming animals are little better than bundles of involuntary reflexes. We're told, don't turn animals into little people. 
Don't anthropomorphize them. Don't give them human characteristics they really don't have. We're told by some experts that animals are nothing like us, except we're animals. We're just at a different evolutionary stage. Why would we assume those experts are right and that we need not worry about the well-being or even the feelings of these animals? Perhaps seeking to understand another creature would help us to understand ourselves. Uh, Suzanne Clothier proposes in her book, Bones Would Rain From the Sky, to my way of thinking, the ongoing process of learning to understand another being is a key point of any relationship, delightful, astounding, and valuable beyond description, eclipsed only by the value in learning to understand ourselves. Pets help us also to be aware of the temporary nature of our existence. Most people who own pets have had to deal with the death of those pets. We heard that this morning, joys and concerns. Our loving companions grow old before our eyes and then we have to say goodbye. Death is a clear part of life. I know it helps me to be keenly aware of my own mortality. In fact, I have made a point if any time one of our dogs has to be euthanized, I go in there, I'm there when it happens, I carry them home and I bury them. Uh, that has to be a part of life. You can't shy away from it, you can't be afraid of it. It is just part of our life. My parents, who are getting up there in years, have two dogs and as they consider their deaths, they want to make sure their dogs will be okay if their dogs outlive them. And of course, they'll be fine. They'll be with us. We'll find a home for them or they will live their lives with us. Either way, they need not worry about that. I would hope that all people have some kind of contingency for pets, just in case. When I start thinking about my life, having had so many dogs in my life and more than a few that have passed on, I too am keenly aware of the brevity of my own life. What do I wish to accomplish in that brevity? And one of the things that's become very clear to me, one of the mantras, if you will, in my life is that as I pet one of my dogs and look at them, I say, my goal is to outlive you, to escort you through your life and make sure you're okay. And at some point, I'm not going to be able to do that with a dog. At some point, I'll take a dog into my life and I'll go, this dog will quite likely outlive me. And I'll have to have those contingency plans also. But that's not something to be morbid about. It's not something to be cringing at. Why is he talking about death? death talking about death should not be taboo. It shouldn't be something we just pretend doesn't happen. And pets make it clear that that is part of life and you have to face it. Some people I know have been so devastated by the loss of a pet they don't want another one because it hurts so much. I would encourage people to look at it a different way. There are so many animals out there that need a home that the pain you feel is greatly outweighed by the good you can do and the love you will get if you can find room for another pet. As we consider both death and the value of our pets, I want to share a story. Uh, we have a thing that we often do near Halloween. 
uh, where we honor the dead. Um, whether it's done in a pagan context as part of Samhain or just done at that time of year, uh, we often have a thing where we'll have a table and you can bring up a picture or something from a person that you've lost. And you know, one person who was running this asked me, is it okay to put our pets up there too? Or is that like diminish, demeaning the humans? Is it you know, somehow diminishing the importance of this? Now to me, that was a no-brainer. Of course you can put pets up there. It, they're all beings that we love. Why, could it, why should it only be human? And why should humans be offended if someone has an animal they love up there too? Now, I don't know what your personal views are on this, but it's another way of thinking about how we relate to animals, how much value we give them, how much respect we give them, that could you honor animals and humans together and not have in your mind, hmm, this doesn't seem right, it seems unbalanced, Something shouldn't happen, or, or does it seem perfectly natural and justified? So let's return to that story that I began the sermon with, uh, the people who abandoned the little black dog. This happens all too often. At least most people who do it at least will tie it up with a rope or a leash or something so it doesn't run into the street. My first reaction, of course, is to be furious. What kind of people would do this? What kind of heartless, soulless creatures? But then one can also argue, well, they did bring it to an animal shelter. They didn't just kill it or abandon it somewhere in the woods, which has also happened to puppies we had there recently were just found by people walking on a path in the woods. Unbelievable. And it's also true that people take in dogs and don't realize what's involved. This is a living creature, it's not a toy. It has needs and it's going to do things you don't want it to do. And sometimes people get overwhelmed or this little tiny puppy grows into this huge creature. They had no idea it was gonna be that big. There's all sorts of reasons. But there's a responsible way to give up a dog and there's a thoughtless, and that's me being kind, there's a thoughtless way to do it. And if you think that isn't hard on a dog to be abandoned, I'm gonna tell you about Skye, our poodle. She came to us a few years ago from a man who was getting a service dog for PTSD. And he told us with the service dog, he's not allowed to have any other dogs in the house. I don't know if this is true or not, I haven't researched it. That's what he told me and I'm going with it. And he did not want to put her in the animal shelter and the people at the animal shelter knew me, knew I liked small dogs, gave me a call. I said, sure, send them over, we'll take a look at her. And so there's this you know, gorgeous little white poodle. How could you want to get rid of this magnificent beast? And it didn't take us long. Jancy's a huge poodle fan, so pretty much if it's a poodle, she's locked in. So, <laughs> so we said, we will either find a home for the dog or we will keep her. Either way, she won't go into a shelter, I'll promise you that. And he was good with that. And he said, she is going to be mourning. She will mope for three days. I'm just telling you up front, that's gonna happen. So he gave us a dog crate that she slept in and she just wanted to be in that dog crate for three days. She didn't want anything to do with us. And one day I had to take the crate outside and you know, wash it down, scrub it, hose it down and leave it out there in the sun to dry. 
And I went and looked about, and we have a doggy door so the dogs can go in and out. And I went outside, you know, 10, 15 minutes later to look, and that poodle is curled up on the ground next to this dog crate that's up on its end because she can't get in it. And that's what she did for three days. And after three days, just like the guy said, she said, okay, this is life. I might as well get used to these people. And she's been a delightful dog ever since. But for three days, this dog was in mourning, literally in mourning. Had no idea why this had been done to her. If a creature is capable of that, it's, it's capable, it's needful of our love and respect. Now, I have only scratched the surface when it comes, to talk, comes about talking about the profundities we can discover if we seek to grow closer to animals. And there's certainly a lot we can talk about in the next hour. I will simply close with these thoughts. When I was in Afghanistan for a year, the two things I missed most, the two things that were killing me was being away from my family and being away from dogs. And some people might think that sounds facetious. It was not. There was an ache inside that I wanted to have a dog. It hurt. And my life felt emptier for the lack of those canine companions. I cannot envision living without a dog in the house ever again. I'm certainly not going to go to a retirement community where they don't allow me to have a dog, hopefully. <laughs> and if someone tries to do that to me, watch out. <laughs> and I will also tell you, when I go home today and we drive in, first thing is in the kitchen window, if I haven't pushed all the chairs in around the table, uh, our poodle's going to be standing on the table looking out, waiting for us to come home. <laughs> because that's Skye, she's, she's a little naughty still. And then she will howl at the top of her lungs to let all the other dogs know we're home. And by the time we get out of the car and approach the door, you will hear caterwauling like you have never heard, howls like a pack of wolves, because mom and dad have come home. And then you go in, and they just climb all over you. They want to be petted, they want to be loved. And I've heard and read, and many different sources, the phrase or the idea, dogs don't lie to you about love. This is absolutely true. They're not putting on an act to get something from us. They are utterly delighted that we are home. And as Jancy said to me just the other day, you know, I'm utterly convinced these dogs are only happy when we're both home. And she's right. If she's gone, her poodle is sitting there looking at the door for hours. And my dogs are the same way. Ted's terrible when I'm not home. They love us. Whatever a dog is capable of in the way of love, they love us. And so I will close with those thoughts. There is so much to learn about interaction with animals. You know when you live with animals, they're being straight with you. They might be sneaky, but when they say they love you or hate you, they're telling you the truth. The hate part, too. <laughs> And finally, at least for me, pets are a critical part of a well-balanced and happy life, and they have, at least for me, provided some significant purpose in my life. So I look forward to a good discussion in the second hour, and thanks for coming out.